Welcome to the Old School Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. We will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. My name is Laura, and I am a compulsive overeater. And I am so glad to be at this meeting. Thank you, Jack, for asking me to speak. And it is wonderful to see all of you here, many of whom I know, many of whom I recognize, and many who I don't, which is really wonderful. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, the ones I know is just like just family, uh, even if we don't see each other very often. I went to my first OA meeting on May 3rd, 1988. 33 years ago, and as I say that, I just can't believe it, and uh, I've never left, and I, uh, I had met a woman at a work event. I was wearing my good outfit, which was a blazer and pants that I couldn't zip up, and the other pair of pants I wore was was black, stretchy. So this was my good outfit. And um, and the way I remember it, this person thought that maybe I could help her in some networking, and she wanted to meet for dinner at the Cheesecake Factory. So we met for dinner at the Cheesecake Factory, and which was one of my places, the places I went and I ordered. Uh, oh, he wants one of those, and oh, she likes that a lot, yeah, and so does he, so let's get two of those. And then I'd be eating... The, the portion, the, the pieces on the way home with the plastic fork. And, um, and when that person ordered her food and she said, um, I, I want to make sure there's no flour or sugar in this order. And I said, why are you asking for no flour or sugar? And she said, because I'm allergic to it. At least this is the way I remember it. And, uh, I said, allergic to it. I'm allergic to salmon and horses, but uh, not that I eat horses, but I'm <laughs> salmon to eat and horses to be around. And I said, what happens to you when you eat that stuff? And I don't remember if she said I blow up or if she said I have an allergic reaction or if she said it doesn't. I don't know. I'll have to ask her. She's actually at the meeting. Her name is Cynthia. Uh, and the fact that she's here tonight is just so special. And uh, I said, so you don't eat sugar? How long have you not had sugar? And she said, five years. I said, five years without a chocolate chip cookie? How is that possible? And she said, well, um, have you heard of AA? And I said, yeah, I've heard of AA. I don't have any idea how it works. She said, well, there are 12 steps. I said, oh. And she said, so I go to Overeaters Anonymous where there are 12 steps. I said, oh, what are the steps? And she said, well, the first step is admitted we are powerless over food and our lives have become unmanageable. And when I heard that first half of the first step, something happened. I felt, what? We're allowed to be powerless over something? Especially food? No, we have, I have to control my food and diet and make sure and everything. What is that? It was unfathomable how you are allowed to be powerless over something, and that's going to get you some freedom. I thought that means you're going to be really out of control. But the second half of the first step, she was starting to lose me. 
because my life wasn't unmanageable. I had a career. I had friends. I was miserable inside. I was swearing to myself every day, this is going to be the last day. That's the last binge. Tomorrow I'll start fresh. And there would be the tomorrows when I started fresh. And maybe I'd make it till 4 o'clock before I hit the candy bars and the snack machine in the office. Or maybe I'd even make it through the whole day. And I often would try to fast the next day to get myself going on the right track. And then I'd start dieting. And it's it's a long time ago now, but it was so consistent and so continuous. And I remember walking up. There was a slight incline to go to the, the place I worked in Hollywood. And just after the binging the night before, the ankles felt heavy. My heart felt heavy. My body was bloated. And um, just that awful feeling and the heartburn and the why couldn't I stop, for God's sake? I knew what to eat. I knew I wanted to be thin more than anything. I could stop for a while, but why couldn't I continue to stop? And so um, Cynthia said, I'll meet you at a meeting. And I really didn't want to go, but I, it was divine, I think. It was something, it was the right moment at the right time. I don't know. I was desperate. You know, we talk about the gift of desperation, and I was desperate. I wasn't looking for any program. I wasn't looking for a spiritual answer, that's for sure. I didn't believe in a spiritual answer. I was I was desperate. I, nothing was working. I had a lot of therapy, and I had come to understand why I ate. And it, but it helped, but it didn't help. I really knew I ate over sadness, frustration, depression sometimes. Why did I eat over success? That made no sense. I ate over success. I ate over everything. And um, it made no sense to me, especially when I knew what to eat to lose weight because I was old enough by then. So um, I went to that first meeting at 3rd and Flores on a Tuesday night, and she wasn't there. I can't remember if she told me she wasn't going to be there or whatever, but I went. There were three men standing outside, a man named Matt, a man named Henry, who some of you who have been around a long time know. And, wait, was the third one Greg? I, I'm blanking now. Um and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to walk into a meeting and we're going to be talking about food with men and body image and all those feelings of shame that I had, shame about the way I ate, shame about my body, shame about why couldn't I stop. And there were two speakers at that meeting, and I'm not sure who the other speaker was, but one speaker was Ida, who's at this meeting right now. And <laughs> How often does this happen where I'm at a meeting with the person who 12-stepped me and the one who inspired me at that meeting? And I heard things that she might not have even said, but um, <laughs> I just know that I thought I heard something and I thought they're eating the way I eat and they take it out of the garbage and they throw it away and then they take it back. And, and, and so I thought... I'm going to come back. And Matt tried to sell me a, tried to sell me a big book and I didn't want it because I'm not an alcoholic and he said just take it if you can't afford it. I said I can afford it. I think then it was $4.75 and um I took it and it stayed on my coffee table for 3 weeks because that wasn't me. So I went to meetings 
and um, about after 10 days, and I thought I'd make my abstinence no sugar. And I heard the concept one day at a time, one day at a time, which I thought maybe I could do that. And um, on the 10th day, I came home from a meeting and I was beside myself. I don't remember what over, but I wanted to eat a pie. I wanted to go to Marie Callender's and get a pie. But I had also tasted abstinence. I had also tasted something that was not just a diet, but my body was feeling better. There was this community. There was connection. And I was on kind of a bit of a roll, and I didn't want to blow it. You know, I didn't want to blow that diet. I didn't want to blow it. So I had heard what you guys said, that we can make phone calls, and it's anonymous. And I really cherished and used that anonymity for a long, long time. I'd call people, and I would cry, and I would tell intimate stories about my family and all these feelings. I, was, I wasn't I was graceful, and I wasn't dignified. Um, and I, you know, the patience that people had, that you had, and that many who aren't here had, just phenomenal. And um, I was told to write. And then I learned from somebody to write Dear God letters. And um, and I would drive home from work with a pad of paper, and I might be so anxious and beside myself and clutching the steering wheel, not wanting to go to 7-Eleven, and I'd pull over and start writing Dear God. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. Who's going to take care of me? I'll, you know, write your fears. And then um, I did that a lot. And... Um, Three weeks after uh, not having sugar, and I was pretty much dieting too. You know, I was watching, really watching. But um, I was on the 101. You've, many of you have heard this before. But I was on the 101 driving, um, obviously, to uh, from the valley to Hollywood. And there was traffic. And all of a sudden, I felt something that I'd never felt before. And I felt we were all in this together, like all these people in the cars and me, we were all in this together. And I felt this sort of a peace. I'd never felt peace before. I'd felt, you know, laughter and funny and happiness and sadness, but like peace, some kind of equanimity, or you might say serenity. And then I... It was so strange, and it was a oneness. And um, I told Cynthia and Renee, and like two wise old women, but they weren't old, they they nodded, and they said, that's God. And those were two Christians, and I was Jewish. And I went, really? So that was a very special um, experience, and I was on a pink cloud probably for a few months, and then I remember going to Thalians, and uh, I felt like one of those cartoons where there's smoke is coming out of my ears. I was so angry, so angry. I don't remember what about, but where am I going to put the anger? Because the food would always push that anger down. It would numb it, and it would numb me. And so it wasn't easy. Um, and um, it's been 33 years, and it. I haven't always had freedom from food obsession at all. I have had freedom from food obsession now for a few years. I don't know if it's two or three. It's weird. 
because I've been in the ring with foods along the way. Thank God, never sugar. But there were many other things. And um, I remember I wanted what I wanted, you know. So I was doing some 10-step work the other day, and I'm making an effort right now to, on awakening, to do a much more formalized 10-step. And um, to really get in touch with what role does God want me to play? I have no idea, but just to literally take the time and kind of reflect. I'm not taking a lot of time. And I do, med- you know, I, I have a meditation practice and um, I do a 10 step at night, you know, one way or the other. I'm, 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 you know, I don't really rest for the most part. There's always the balance of um, how we don't beat ourselves up, too, and how it's it's just that we're human. But um, I learned here how to make amends. What a, what a gift that is, to learn how to make amends without expecting anything back. And uh, without expecting... 13, 13 thanks. minutes. Thanks. Without expecting forgiveness. I remember a million years ago, I made amends to my sister. We were in Toronto with the family. And she said, well... That's easy for you to say, but don't think that it takes makes any difference to me. And I called my sponsor and I said, she said, that can happen, but you made the amends. Fast forward, my sister and I speak every day. Um, there's been a lot of tumult in my family, um, a lot of sadness, of, um, and I've had tremendous joy, and my life is very rich. I'm married. I have a 22-year-old who causes me a lot of anxiety. (laughs) And uh, it's not easy. Um, You know, my husband had cancer years ago. You know, it's it's, I've been in its life. And um, uh, I just want to say before time runs up, why do I stay abstinent? That's such a good question. I don't want to suffer what it was like not being abstinent. And I don't just mean by being, you know, I'm I'm very happy to be thin or at a normal body weight. I like that. I like my body. I don't feel shame about my body. And uh, I'm active and feel strong, except for my broken ankle. But, um, and, oh, my God, could you imagine not being abstinent with a broken ankle? I remember that years ago. How am I going to get my food? I'm relying on, anyways. I stay, I stay absent and I want to stay absent because I want freedom. I have freedom. I have freedom in many ways, but I want more freedom, um, emotionally. And, um, I was saying to somebody that after all these years, I still, depending on what happens with somebody and if something that means something to me, like this project I'm working on and that person is disappointing me, and she's not living up to things when she says she's going to, which is a real trigger, that I really deep down, I'm afraid things aren't going to work out. That when I get kind of, when that dynamic happens, I things aren't going to work out. And I know that's a very, very old idea. And there were reasons for that idea. But when it hits, I can't really think my way out of it. Um, and then this person I was talking to said, well, what what's work out mean? I said, well, then I'm not going to get my way. And, uh, <laughs> right? And so, uh, 
you know, he said if if um, the best way to find peace is to align yourself with reality and um, acceptance. It doesn't mean I don't have a voice and can't express something, but um, so I, I'm finding tastes of new freedom with that. And also another level of, you know, on awakening is to how can we serve others? And I learned how to do that here, but I, I realize how still I, I think my way is the best way still, even though I work a strong program, but often it comes down to that. So it's a real, it's real conscious work now. So I, hope everybody could find what there is in these steps and in this program. And it, it, you know, we, every day is a new day really when we look at it that way and we have these, these, these steps to, to live by. So um, thanks for letting me share.